Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Tuesday's top story. SEC Gary Gensler disappointed by part of Ripple still assessing opinion and AI could play a big role in the future financial crisis. So I was just reading the little prompt that I had here because it pretty much sums it up. So basically what happened yesterday at an event in D.C., Gary Gensler said he's disappointed with the court's decision in the Ripple case regarding retail investors. But he's pleased that the part found that the institutional sale of XRP did violate federal securities laws. And then he went on to talk about AI, believes AI could destabilize the global economy if big tech monopolizes its development for financial market applications. But the good thing about AI is we all know that Gary Gensler is incapable of doing his job. So people in AI that are working in that industry, they'll have no problem innovating um, in the United States probably for the next 10 years, because by the time um, the public servants get it together and come up with some form of regulation, it will already have destroyed the United States of America. So congratulations, public servants. I love a good Wendy O rant on a Taco Tuesday. It doesn't get much better than that. Also, welcome back to the show, Zach. You didn't get a proper yeah. welcome back. We missed you. Yeah, we missed you. Miss, Sorry, Zach. Missed I was you too. Missed so you concerned too. about Gary. I had to just go off on him and saying, I love the pink. You look very touristy. You look like um, you look like you're on vacation still. You look yeah. like an 80s dad. Thanks. It's pretty much what I am. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, there's so much has happened since I've been away. Like when I left, the industry was down in the dumps. And then all of a sudden, the ripple thing happens. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, we're back. It's happening. Yay. And you have Gary doing interviews saying how disappointed he is in the ruling. And hey, that means something. Because when this came out, the SEC said, hey, we're happy for the win that we secured here in, uh, in this federal courtroom today. So a bit of the, uh, the reality of the situation comes out in these comments from SEC Chair Gary Gensler. But yeah, this feels like a landmark situation where uh, all of a sudden the crypto industry has secured a much needed win and is feeling a bit emboldened, I think, as it relates to a regulatory path forward. Also, I think really, and you know, this is based on comments from people at the Blockchain Association and others, sort of the, the fight really now turns to Congress, right? This really changes the political calculus as it relates to a couple of bills that are currently on Capitol Hill. 
So to see this go down, to see these comments from Gary Gensler, to see that this court, this judge in New York said basically, hey, despite Gary Gensler's claims that things are clear and just the crypto industry needs to play by the rules, obviously what was stated in this, in this ruling was that, no, that's not true. And we need some legal clarity in terms of what's going to happen. And people are suggesting that that decision by the federal judge in this case could change the calculus for getting Democrats to the table and saying, okay, let's, let's take action here. Let's step up and figure out if it's the McHenry bill or others that provide clarity for crypto assets going forward. So I think for me, that's where really all eyes are pointed to DC to see how this changes the calculus there. But I want to get Jen's take because I'm sure it's a smart one. Zach, with the vacation optimism, I love it. I think it wasn't surprising to see uh, Gensler's comments here. He's obviously disappointed that retail uh, investment on trading platforms were not considered securities. You know, he's been very public about saying that he thinks most of the cryptos out there are securities. So it's obvious that he would be disappointed here. I think that it is also very important to note that this is one judge in one district. Many people who are commenting on this have said, you know, this is not precedent setting the SEC could appeal. And so for me, it just creates more confusion. I don't have the same vacation optimism as you, Zach. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen next. And I am just as confused as I was before. As it pertains to the AI comments that Gensler made, I think it was really interesting that he said, you know, what guardrails do exist have become outdated and new guardrails need to be created for AI because we've never had anything like this. And then when we look at how he speaks about the crypto industry, he says, what exists already works for this new technology. The Howey test that, you know, was invented back way back when at the beginning of the 1900s just works. And it's just like really interesting that we have these two really innovative technologies and one needs new guardrails. And, and then Gensler comes in and says, the other one is just fine. And so those are my not so optimistic takes on Gensler's remarks here. I think it's a glass half full moment for the industry. And I think Maybe. most people kind of feel that way. Like the, the vibe, the vibe shift is here. And all of a sudden, Ripple of all people are the firm to deliver a victory that, you know, really puts a crack or, or at least undermines Gary's legal case, legal thinking here, right? That these assets don't inherently embody the characteristics of a security. Indeed, it's how they are involved in various transactions and the facts and circumstances of those transactions, right? You have a judge saying, okay, those institutional sales, they look like one thing. The retail sales look like a completely other thing. So it's not the asset itself. It's the transaction that should be assessed here when making these distinctions. And I think that really runs counter to what Gary Gensler has been saying for months now that all these things except for Bitcoin are securities. They embody the traits of securities, irregardless of how they are transacted in the market. So I think it's just fascinating to see that this judge has sort of upended that line of thinking. And she has said, hey, no, we really need to think more clearly about this stuff. And rather than applying these blanket rules and blanket categories, I can't, I can't even speak now either. Thanks, Jen. That's it for me. I'm so really sorry. Quickly, the thing is, though, we just keep hearing about we should do this, we should do that, regulation, da 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 but nobody implements them. Did they just talk about it? They've been talking about crypto regulation since like 2017. I remember the big congressional hearing that happened way back when, when I was brand new to crypto Twitter. It was absolutely ridiculous. So it's like, don't talk about it. Be about it. I love Word. that, Wendy. Well, we oh. should note that uh, XRP is also being relisted on a bunch Everywhere. of exchanges now. So there's that. There is that nice optimistic take for the XRP army out there. Wednesday's top story. 
Doesn't look like Nasdaq is going to proceed with its cryptocurrency exchange, according to new information from their quarterly update to investors. It's according to CEO Adana Friedman on an earnings call. They are going to continue working on some sort of custodial solution, but due to the regulatory environment at the moment, they're not interested in trading your digital assets quite yet. We've seen a few different larger companies about face at the moment, while we've seen other companies surge forward within the crypto markets. So kind of like a back and forth here. Wendy, I want to throw it over to you. I saw this news and was a little sad, maybe a little bearish. But at the end of the day, I think there's more companies that are coming out for crypto right now than there are those against it. So my personal take on this is this is a massive giant in the um, traditional financial industry. So this makes sense that they're going to kind of submit to the uncertainty of regulatory clarity, because if they were to actively get into the crypto industry or Bitcoin industry without the spot Bitcoin ETFs being approved or without any type of regulatory guidelines, it could cause a lot of issues for them in the long term. So I, this makes sense. This is totally on brand. Again, I think once we get super bullish and we actually get in the bull market and we start getting somewhere with regulation and guidelines, or we get the spot Bitcoin ETFs approved, or again, more rulings from judges, then we will see these big players come into the market. So this makes sense for me. It's on brand. It, and again, it's very unfortunate because there could be a lot more money flooding into these entities via taxpayer dollars or however that works. But again, we are foiled by the public servants and their lack to do any type or to give us any type of legal clarity. Shout out to Gigi. Let me clarify myself really quickly here because we got some technical terms in this topic that we should probably go over. The first thing is the custodian solution that they're working on is the thing that they're going to stop, but they're still working on the technology behind that. So it's not necessarily a trading firm that they're halting operations on, but the custodial part of this. But the technology apparently is still in development. So that's swinging. Jen? But wait, hold on really quick. But if the technology is still being worked on, but they can't use the technology for what they're making it for, to me, it's like... I think that like right now is not the time for NASDAQ to be getting into this, right? Like you said, they're huge financial firm. I don't think that it's their fight to fight. I don't think that this is a sad thing. I think that it's totally expected. They said they're pausing to get the correct licensing. So I think they're just waiting to see what's happening. They haven't stopped everything they're doing with digital assets, like you said, Will. And I don't know if you remember, but when they launched this last year, they had hired a fellow to lead the program. I forget his name, but he's from Gemini. He's a VP there. He's still leading digital assets. He still has a job. And I think that they are just quietly watching what's going on, working with regulators. Of course, I think, I don't know, that they must have longstanding relationships with regulators who they work with, who have probably advised them to just pause on this offering until there's some more clarity. Zach? They're in it for the tech. Like Will said, they're in it for the tech, Wendy. They're in it for the tech. They don't need to be trading these coins. They just want to build the technology. That's what it's all about here. I think the thing this all boils down to is there's just so much uncertainty, right? You had this whole brouhaha happen when Prometheum came out and said, hey, we got this special purpose broker dealer license that allows us to sell digital asset securities means they can't touch Bitcoin and likely not Ether. So there's still a lot of uncertainty as to what particular licenses will fit the bill for any of these TradFi shops looking to set up crypto trading operations, right? So I think the question to me is, when are they going to be able to figure it out, right? Are they going to wait for legislation to pass? Are they going to wait for some more clarity uh, through the courts? I don't know. I think that, that to me makes it seem like this is probably going to be a longer pause than they might be initially acknowledging, at least at first. Because really the question is, when clarity? And I think that's the question that's been going on for years now. And it doesn't necessarily look like 
unless, you know, legislation gets fast tracked through Congress, doesn't necessarily look like we're going to have an answer to when clarity anytime soon. So that I think is maybe perhaps a telling example of the uncertainty that a lot of firms in the space are operating in, especially in the US context. So to me, yeah, we'll see if they ever get around to it, but I, I kind of doubt it because it's probably going to be a while until they can figure out which exact licenses they even need to be above board in the eyes of SEC uh, Chair Gary Gensler. Thursday's top story. First up, FTX users potentially targeted in a possible phishing attack. This is an email sent to users from an official looking address saying, reset your password. It's a little bit suspicious, a little bit sketchy. We're not sure at this point, based on the reporting, if it's real or if it was an attack out there by unsuspecting former FTX customers. That's one. Two, FTX bankruptcy process seeking to claw back $71 million from FTX's life sciences arm. FTX and SBF specifically were very keen on funding a lot of life sciences research that could potentially do much good for the world. But FTX unwound and now the bankruptcy proceeding is trying to get back as much money as possible for its many creditors. A couple of nuggets here, one on the OPSEC end, one on the slow march toward justice. I'm going to throw it to Will for his initial thoughts on this double shot of FTX news. Yeah, cybersecurity. Not interesting stuff, but I'll get your ass so you better pay attention to it. Uh, that's all I have to say for that story. The other one is a little <laughs> more interesting to me because it does involve a lot of money. We've seen a few headlines like this, so I'm kind of like lost in the malaise of so many FTX headlines trying to claw back funds on behalf of its previous customers. There's been stuff with BlockFi. There's been stuff with Three Euros Capital. There's been stuff with other partners out there. You've seen this piece. They've even included stuff about celebrities, right? Where they gave a lot of money to celebrities, the Tom Brady's and the Steph Curry's of the world. And I think uh, FTX kind of wants that money back to pay back its customers and maybe even pay back all the lawyers that they're paying right now to go through this chapter 11 proceeding. The question for me is like, when can you get this money back and what's the reason for it? Because if FTX was operating as a legitimate business, as it sort of was before November of last year, when things started falling apart so quickly, then it's just a business transaction, right? And just because it went into chapter 11 afterwards doesn't really necessarily mean anything. From my understanding, it's typically like 90 days prior to the declaration of chapter 11 is when some of these funds can be clawed back, but there's restrictions on that. We've seen, uh, or I guess all of us have become somewhat familiar with chapter 11 proceedings because there's been so many over the last two years. But I have a hard time believing that some of these funds can be clawed back because that certainly was earlier than that 90-day period. But hey, I'm no legal expert on the show. So let's give it to Jen, who is our legal <laughs> expert. I think if you have the funds and you have a stand-up business and FTX comes and asks you for those funds because they want to pay back their users, I think they owe users something to the tune of $8 billion, you probably want to do it if, if you can, just for the PR. If we look at what the lawyer said in this filing, well, they said, while purporting to make these investments for altruistic purposes like pandemic prevention and preparedness, Bankman Freed, in fact, pursued these transactions because he believed that doing so would generate goodwill and amass political capital and influence for himself. So that's one of the reasons why they've given for trying to get back this 70 some odd million dollars. Will you pointed to that 700 million dollar number we learned that they're trying to get back from those two celebrity connectors. So it feels like they're just going after 
everyone who took money from Sam Bankman Fried and FTX. But like, when does it end, right? What a good argument behind it. And maybe they'll get some of those funds back. I think the New York uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art actually did give back 550, yeah, $550,000. They agreed to return it. So I think it ends when, when they've got an answer from everyone. They've been able to get some funds back. I, me, I think desperate times call for desperate measures. Let me throw this at you. You, you read that, okay. that quote from the lawyer who said that Sam Bakerfree was trying to do a mass clout for his company. What CEO is not doing that in crypto? What CEO is not trying to amass clout? Lots of these companies do this, right? Lots of them have sponsorships with sports teams, have sponsorships with influencers. Like Everyone does that. So that's not a rationale for clawing back funds in any sense. I'm sorry that FTX went under and that people lost funds. But like those were legitimate business transactions at the time, even if they were exorbitantly overpaid, which I think all of these were like $700 million just to get celebrity connections. That's crazy. You didn't need to do that. And there was a lot of criticism at FTX at the time for doing so. But it doesn't mean that you can go back and claw back all these funds because, you know, they inked the deal. That's who was at the helm of the, the ship at the time. I don't know. Zach? Lawyer's going to lawyer. John J. Ray, man, he, he's, he's not playing, dog. He's coming for that money no matter what. I think this is funny because it also kind of it reminds me of that. Remember that Vox piece where like the reporter like published all the DMs with SBF? Yeah. And he's like, all us, all us woke Westerners, we're just saying the right liberal shibboleths to make everyone like us. This one kind of is that a little bit, right? Like SBF was sort of hitting all the right buttons to get the world to think, oh, this guy, he's an upstanding CEO. He's out here doing good in the world. And this funding of life sciences and COVID research was kind of one of those ones that in retrospect is one of those right shibboleths that uh, SBF talked about when he wasn't under the impression that it was going to be made public shortly thereafter. So yeah, it is funny to kind of look back and, uh, and, and remember some of these statements and then see how it intersects with the court of law as, as it relates to the bankruptcy proceeding itself. So it is, uh, it is a bit funny to watch this be unwound piece by piece, the empire in shambles. Alameda FTX Empire, man. Down bad. What a story. What a story it was. Still going. Still going on. Also, if you're looking to file a claim in the proceedings, remember, September 29th, I believe, is your deadline. That is a real known fact, despite potential phishing attacks and whatnot. So that's a public service announcement. Get that in by late September if you want to be in line. Anyway, Jen, I'm tossing it to you. Yeah, well, I, I just want to point out about the phishing attacks. These are potential phishing attacks, right? They're not confirmed. The email address is one that is attached to FDX's customer service. And so it could be legit and it could also not be legit. So these tips we give you about phishing attacks are not going to work here. Proceed with caution. Wait for more information. That's my public service announcement on the phishing attacks. Friday's top story. So the DOJ has accused former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried of leaking the private diary of ex-Elemata Research CEO Caroline Ellison to the New York Times. This comes after the New York Times published an article that had Ellison's private thoughts, her private musings, leading to the DOJ seeking a ban on all out-of-court statements made by witnesses and other parties in the case. They're saying this could taint the jury. So, Will, I'm going to pass it off to you. What do you make of this? I think the New York Times article came out yesterday. What do you think? Juicy stuff, right? And Coindesk was the one that also did the breakup story afterwards of Ellison and Sam Bankman-Fried, who were apparently dating part of this weird group of people living in the Bahamas together in an apartment, trading crypto, and perhaps more than that. Uh, so there's definitely some like romantic activities between all these people. And the fact that he went so far 
to discredit her as revealing her private diary uh, definitely means that that relationship is over. We also know that like this could harm him in court because now they're trying to get him to, uh, they're clamping down on him saying like, you can't be talking to the media, you can't be talking to the press and they're pressing forward with that, trying to make sure that he can't speak to anyone else. And why is that? Well, tampering with a witness as key against him. Ellison and a lot of the other executives at FTX, so former executives, have turned state's witness right, where they're going to the Justice Department and being like, hey, this is what's going on. Sam Bankman-Fried did not do that. He has pleaded not guilty at this time. So we're waiting for those proceedings to occur in October. And this could be key information for both sides here. But I think it's just part of a larger thing that SBF, as much as he's sitting in his parents' basement right now, he still wants to be in the light. And that's why he's talking to New York Times reporters. It's back. Man, season three of FTX. It's just, it's just crazy. You can't write this stuff. I mean, you just couldn't do, you couldn't make this up. Like the, juicy. the past relationship, the past tryst being just so violated here with the leaking of a private diary like this. It's just the twists and turns in this uh, in this case are unending, never fails to surprise. There's always some new piece of minutia that makes this alleged fraud probably one of the most notable, interesting, and very sort of 21st century social media stories of all time, right? You've got all this stuff that's unfolding in real time, all these crazy plot twists that are somewhat Shakespearean, somewhat Netflix studios, right? Like it's just it's just wild. When this all gets distilled into its its inevitable movie form, there will be plenty of real material to draw from that many viewers will say, no way, you made that up. That can't be based in reality when in fact it is. That's just how crazy this story is. And we're gonna talk about more about that in a bit. But Jen, I saw your hand, I'm gonna throw it your way. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, in all of the developments that come out about Sam Bankman Freed, his actions since the collapse of FTX, I keep asking myself, is this calculated or is it driven by emotion? And I still can't really figure it out. You know, leaking this document to the New York Times could be a very calculated move to manipulate media, taint the jury, or it could just be an emotional move because he doesn't know what to do next. He wants to stay in the spotlight and he wants the New York Times to cover this story. So I just would love to get inside the brain of Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't know, maybe maybe one day he'll come on the hash and we get to ask him all of the burning questions. Oh, join us again, Jen. <laughs> yeah, he was on the, hash. on the hash. It's true. One day maybe he can rejoin us on the hash. You know, the New York Times article quotes some of the diary excerpts here as Ellison feeling unhappy and overwhelmed with her job. There's one quote in the article that says, at the end of the day, I can't wait to go home and turn off my phone and have a drink and get away from it all. So you have to just wonder what was kind of going on behind the scenes, even way before the implosion of FTX happened. It sounds like it wasn't a very happy place. It wasn't a very organized place. It sounds like absolute chaos. Zach? Yeah, we heard some of this in you know public statements by Brett Harrison, right, who is the chief of FTX US. And I think his telling is that, you know, dating back to spring of 22, right, before things hit the fan in November, all the way back in April, like the tensions were starting to boil over, in which, according to his telling, at least, he and other key executives on the team started seeing Sam Bankman-Fried's behavior as increasingly erratic and increasingly leading to arguments and outright fights among the crew, right? Not not physical fights, I should note, but just uh, back and forth that were less than pleasant. So um, yeah, you do get a bit more of a picture of the dysfunction that we've heard about from within the FTX empire through some of these, these highlights that are excerpted in the Times piece. It is just wild to see that more details keep emerging from what, again, remains a very compelling, fascinating Shakespearean story of, of, uh, of downfall. 
and of craziness. Yeah, wild stuff. The trial yeah, last is... On this. Go ahead, Jen. Go ahead. I was just going to say the trial starting in October, and we should remind the audience that Ellison is a star witness against SBF. Well, the last thing I was just going to say to add on to what Zach said, uh, even before the Brett Harrison things, there was stuff going back to 2018 and 2019 when Alameda Research was getting off the ground. There was a, a key split at that time. A lot of people saying that Sam Bankman-Fried's behavior was domineering. Uh, and just led to a dissolution of a lot of the early key team members. People don't know that because it was a firm that no one really cared about at the time, but it went on to become FTX, the behemoth that's running Super Bowl commercials. And now we have this entire downfall playing out in New York Times. And one day, certainly Netflix. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.